Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi there, and welcome to Grief is My Superpower. I'm Mark Lemon, award-winning children's author, bereavement ambassador, and your host for this podcast. Each week, I'll be interviewing incredible people that get open and honest about their own experience with grief. When I was 12 years old, my dad was murdered, and my life changed forever. I try to explore with my guests if it's possible to live a happy and fulfilled life after the death of a loved one. You can find me as Mark Lemon Official on Instagram and at the Lemon Drop Books website. For this episode, I speak with Kate Rothschild. Kate speaks with me about the death of her daughter, Iris, and how it shaped her outlook on life. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave a comment wherever you're listening to this podcast. By doing this, it will help us to reach more people in need of support at a tough time. This podcast is in support of children's bereavement charity, Winston's Wish. Okay, so as mentioned in my introduction, today I'm speaking with someone that I've recently connected with and I'm so pleased that I have because I know that you're all going to get a lot out of our conversation today and it's Kate Rothschild. How are you, Kate? Hi, I'm okay, thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Um, It's always great to kick off the podcast by explaining to people where we are. (laughs) I'm currently on our landing, as is this, uh, you know, how is the way in the world at the moment? And you're currently in a cupboard somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for the listeners, would you be able to just uh, introduce yourself and and, and just, you know, explain who you are and all that, please? Yeah, sure. So my name is Kate Rothschild. I am... I work in music. I work for a company called Rock Nation, which is a wonderful place to work. And um, I manage artists. And yeah, that's about it, really. (laughs) And obviously today we're here to talk about grief. And I was just wondering whether you'd be happy to to sort of share your experience with grief, please. Um, And I do know that, you know, your your grief is has happened to you in in many ways throughout your life but um yeah I was just wondering whether you could just share with the listeners yeah sure so I um yeah as you said I have experienced loss um uh throughout my life so I I lost my dad when I was um 13 he he took his own life um and then I lost my daughter on the same same day, eighth of July, twenty something years later. So so yeah, those are my two quite formative experiences with grief. I know we've spoken before off mic, obviously, about dates and how how they can pop up so strangely throughout our lives. And would you be happy to to maybe go into um, a bit more detail about what happened to your daughter Iris? 
she was um, 15 and a half. She was your typical, very kind of sociable, outgoing teenager. You know, she was wonderful in in every way and um, challenging as well and quite headstrong and brave. And um, she had been... She came. Uh, she, uh, I mean, the circumstances around her death were just. She came to. Um, she went to the countryside to Somerset to stay for the weekend to see her dad, and um, and she was driving on a vehicle, like a farm vehicle, not a quad bike. It's like a farm vehicle that, you know, they've been around sort of all their lives, and um, she was with a friend, and she was going to see her other friend who who lives in the farm next door she was just driving along a field to go and um, meet her off her school bus and um somehow she managed to turn the vehicle over this extraordinary it's an incredibly heavy vehicle that you would have thought would be impossible to turn over but somehow she managed to turn it over and she and she got stuck underneath and she lost her life and um it was an, a huge shock to, I mean, it was just so kind of completely out of the blue. She just started the summer holidays. She was so excited. She'd been volunteering at um, this great organization called City Harvest, where you kind of, where you, where they collect food from, from restaurants and shops that they don't need and they take them around to people who need it. And they just, she was just full of life and so excited for the future and everything. And and then she was just gone. And that was, um, and yeah, that's how it happened. Can you remember where you were, what you were doing, you know, at the time that you found out? No, no, it's all completely crystal clear to me. I mean, so I was also in Somerset in a house nearby. Uh, she was going to stay with her dad, but I have a small house nearby. And I was... Um, uh, I had been in London with her, and then I had come had come to Somerset, and um, and sh- and I was actually going back to London again that day. So I popped over to see her that morning, and I um, made her a cu- and I went to wake her up with her friend, and and I and she were and actually you know it was quite a, it was quite a strange morning in a way because first of all it was the anniversary of my father's death, so it was kind of like I was in just you know, you, you kind of, it just kind of puts you in a certain sort of slightly down frame of mind, you know, probably almost even subconsciously. So I was feeling a little, no, I wasn't feeling my, my most kind of jolly, but anyway, I went over to see her and woke her up around 11am. And she told me that she had seen a ghost the night before. And I, she was like mom I saw a ghost last night it was like a girl my age she was sitting on my on my bed like just looking at me and um and she was complete and she'd never said this to me before but she was completely completely convinced and then she also said I have this really bad pain in my chest and um and I sort of said to her like you do to a teenager it's probably because you've been vaping or whatever and um and and so then I you know and we just sort of like chatted away and I and I made her a cup of tea and I made her friend um I remember I made her a friend a hot lemon because she didn't like tea and then we just sort of hung out for a bit 
And then I was going back to London for the day and for the night just because I had some things I needed to do there. And then I was coming back again the next day. And funnily enough, as I was leaving, I thought to myself, oh, just stay a little bit longer and hang out. And so I actually left and then I came back again just because I I don't know, something inside me just wanted to sort of have another, you know, another sort of hour with her or something so I came back and um but she just kind of like you know she was a teenager she wanted to hang out with her friend she wasn't really that fast I was being a little bit annoying and needy so we just kind of hung out a little bit longer and then I left again and then I arrived in London and um and I got a call that said uh from someone who was at the house just saying there's been an accident and um and I remember initially, obviously, I just thought it was just, you know, it's a, a, a minor accident. I didn't really know what the situation was, but I kept on asking, like, is she breathing? Is she breathing? And um, and they I couldn't answer. And then various other people called me and I was I obviously got straight back in my car and was driving back to the country. And um, and yeah, they told me that a helicopter was there and that there were men working on her and stuff. And then I knew that it was really serious and no one would really answer me about because I guess they didn't really know if she was breathing or not because she was being worked on by an ambulance and then they stopped answering the phone I remember and then I just kind of knew I knew that and I think I felt it I think you just do you feel that you're so connected to your child I just felt that it the the, the connection was broken and I just knew that she would, that she had died. And then when I got to um, Somerset, longest drive of my life, obviously, when I got there, she was she had passed away. And so, so the lead up to it happening was, was very clear. But then I think when you when I realised what had happened, that then it becomes a sort of out of body experience. And I weirdly looking back, it's almost as if I'm watching myself from above. Like, it's so strange. It's so hard to describe. But I'm like looking down on the crown of my own head, just in the like a kind of just complete in just a complete state of shock and horror. But it's, it's, it's really like an out of body experience. I don't know, it might be some kind of biological mechanism to protect you from the like, extreme shock of it. But it was definitely like nothing I've ever experienced before. Yeah, I can remember myself, you know, when my mum told me and how the room was just filled with it's from darkness and black. And, and I remember that feeling like you described of sort of an outer body experience. It's just it's just crazy, isn't it? Yeah, really bizarre. Yeah. Some, like I said, I sometimes feel like maybe it's a way of kind of protecting yourself from the the how the extreme shock of it. Like I almost feel like we just dropped down dead if it wasn't for that. Following uh, Iris's death, and, you know, I always say that, you know, when someone special dies, you know, a part of you dies with them. And and I think that kind of also resonates in terms of what you said about the connection. You know, you felt, it was like you felt that connection had, had been broken. Um, how do you think your grief has made you the person that you are today? Um, I think that grief has changed me in many ways uh some good and some not so good I think it's made me stronger 
I think it's kind of, they sort of call it scar tissue. They say it's stronger, don't they? It's almost as if the worst that could possibly happen has happened. So now I'm kind of almost bulletproof. It sort of puts everything into perspective. Little things that used to upset me don't anymore. Just nothing matters as much. Um, but of course, it's also taken something from me. You know, I've lost a connection to a sort of twin universe, which was really a huge part of my existence, the main part of my existence. And, you know, Iris was my only daughter. I had her when I was practically a teenager. We grew up together and no one will ever understand me the way she did. And I doubt I'll ever be able to navigate the inner world of another human being the way I could her. And, you know, that's just sort of a multiverse of understanding and shared jokes and fears and experience that experiences that I'm alone with now. And our relationship was very close, but also very private because I was a single mother for much of her life. So there's really no one out there who kind of gets it um, or get sort of, you know, now that she's gone, it's just m me who knows what's been lost. So I'm here and living, but, you know, there's a huge hole inside me and, and all around me in my life. That's a really interesting point, actually, because, you know, like you just said, when someone dies, we're left with all, all those thoughts or those memories or those feelings. And how, how do you navigate those, you know, on a daily basis in terms of yourself internally? You know, is, do you find journaling useful? Is it about listening to music? You know, what, how do you, what do you find useful? In the early days, I found writing things down really useful. I don't do that so much anymore. Um, the thing I find most useful is kind of going outside and, and, and walking in nature. I find nature to be really the most kind of calming and um, uh, sort of cathartic thing. Getting outside and walking, walking my dogs is really, really um, important to me. So I want to talk about sort of the way that you've honoured Iris's legacy in terms of, you know, that there's the shrine, isn't there? Um, which I think is hugely powerful and equally amazing. And I'm just wondering whether you could share with the listeners about, you know, how that came about and, and sort of creating that shrine to her. Yeah, so it's not, it's, unfortunately, it's not really there anymore because, so essentially what happened was, when Iris um, died, there was such a kind of outpouring of shock and grief from because she had loads of friends. Like, you know, she was like your typical teenager. She had, you know, her friends were her life. And they created this extraordinary sort of shrine at this tree near our house with just like amazing flowers and like candles and lights and letters and signs and books and photographs and things they had of hers and it was just an extraordinary thing which sort of went up spontaneously in their need for somewhere to go and sort of be together and so this tree became like a, a focal point for us all like it became a place to celebrate her and be together in our grief and it, and it really took on a life of its own so over the first year we it would be decorated once a month on the on the 8th and we would all I mean, it was like the first month or so people were there constantly, the first few months people were there constantly. But then it became on the 8th, we would decorate it um, in the most kind of, the be you know, the, the biggest way we possibly could. So one time we covered it in millions of rainbows. 
a rainbow colored ribbon, sorry. And another, it was like hundreds of balloons and another was a fairy wonderland. And each season we would create like a new installation, like a Halloween theme or Christmas. And um, it was a way of saying we remember and we will never let anyone forget. And it was like a monument to her for everyone to see and and feel her. And I think um, it was really, really helpful for all of us. It was just, I don't know, it was just a way of, you know, coming together. And it also felt like we could do something for her. You know, as a mother, you spend your life cleaning up after your children or running around after them. And then suddenly there's nothing you can do for them. You feel so helpless. And this felt like I could do something at least. And also for her friends too, who were so important to her. One thing I knew for sure is that I needed to create a space for her friends. You know, they all used to live, they all used to basically live at our house. And she was very much the center of her friend group. And she would have wanted me to look out for them as they were all so sort of devastated. And so this gave us all a way of feeling connected and supported. And yeah, so that was incredibly important. The tree was really the kind of, central the sort of central focal point for all of us and then following on from the first year sort of because the council got really fed up and was like sick of us decorating things out in like public spaces um so then what we do is we create like flower wreaths and light candles on the 8th every month and and also we put up a bench opposite her tree which um which we also decorate, which also annoys the council. <laughs> That's an incredible way of, uh, you know, honouring her legacy. And, and also, like you say, bringing in her friends and including her friends and, and also the family, you know. And I think that my, my next question was sort of how you've supported your sons through their grief. But, you know, I think it's that's a really lovely way of sort of including everybody, isn't it? Yeah, I think they found it really helpful. I mean, it's so hard with teenage boys, like... They just don't want to talk about it really and they don't want to see you cry and they don't and they want to avoid uncomfortable conversations that it is it's really difficult to get the balance right because you know they are incredibly sensitive but they also struggle with expressing it and so I found that the practical task of kind of creating that every month all together and and I think they they found that really helpful because you know, we'd all have to go out there and clear up the debris from the last decoration and collect flowers and leaves and branches to kind of make a wreath and light the candles and then, you know, and then coming together. I just think grief is actually a very communal experience. And a lot of us, I think almost like I probably naturally would have it would have gone through it very privately because I'm very private about it. I find it very difficult to cry in front of people and I find it really hard to talk about this the first time I've ever really spoken to anyone outside of my very immediate family so I probably you know but it was because of her friends and this kind of out that we really ended up kind of coming together and I think you know it really does need to be a communal thing I think it really helps and so the boys found that really helpful and it was it was kind of more structured it was somewhere to direct their sadness and their pain towards creating these things for her each month and then because also when my dad died like we never spoke about it again really I don't know whether you know what how your family dealt with it but we I never even knew the day he died until I was an adult like I think it was just the way things were done back then so it was really important to me to create at least a day a month where the boys 
sort of had to, you know, could kind of have a bit of an outpouring and a bit of a focal point, and then they could kind of get back to living their life and being kids, you know? Yeah, I completely agree. I did back back in well, nineteen ninety two when my dad died. It's sort of that there was still that sort of stiff upper lip. Let's you know, if we talk about it, we're going to upset him. We're going to and that, and then that kind of, if I'm honest, that probably pushed me to 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 where maybe your sons have been, not where they are, but you know, in terms of, sort of being a bit moody, not wanting to not wanting to talk about it because I, you sort of, you you're mirroring around other people around you, aren't you, and sort of in terms of they're not talking about it I won't talk about it and yeah you don't want to make people feel uncomfortable and you don't want to bring up difficult things yeah I mean especially in in the circumstances that both our dads died you know it's like you don't (laughs) it's not a dinner party chat is it um yeah that's the thing I think that really doesn't help having kind of just sort of other stuff attached to it that's sort of quite scary in a way yeah yeah so can you share three things that make you smile when you think of Iris? So thinking about her laugh and her sense of humour and some of her one, I mean, like she was so funny and some of her, and she was incredibly cut, like bright, but also quite cutting. So she would have some really funny one-liners about people, like, I don't know, like the way I was dressed or something. And it was incredibly rude, but incredibly funny. And so she, whenever I think of like funny comments like that, that makes me laugh. Um, thinking about sitting her in her room with her talking about life for hours on end, even when I was absolutely desperate to go to bed, that always makes me smile. And um, and like how she would trash my room, my bathroom. Like I would literally come home and find like lids off everything, towels in the bath, my clothes everywhere. Like a tornado had gone through the room. Um, and I never really mind it, but that always makes me smile when I think back about it. Okay, we're going to move on to the questions from uh, the children at Children's Bereavement Charity, Winston's Wish. And the first one is, how do you make yourself feel happy when you're feeling sad? Um, so like I said, I think the thing that makes me feel the happiest is going for walks outside in nature. Um I find the fresh air and the constancy and the kind of indifference of nature is very comforting. Like so many lives have been lived and lost in the lifetime of a single old tree or a river or the ocean. And it just makes me feel like we're not so important. Our losses are not so significant. It just makes me feel a bit better somehow. I don't know why. It's just, I find it very healing. And then, you know, other than that, it's like hugging my boyfriend, you know, people who I love, who are a comfort to me. He's a huge comfort to me, just being sort of close to someone that you love, not necessarily talking, but just being close. I find that incredibly healing and helpful. And then having a laugh with my boys, really. Okay, next one is, what piece of music reminds you of Iris? Well, all music reminds me of Iris. And for like a year, I couldn't listen to any music because it just pulls something out of you. But specific songs would be uh, Brazil by Declan McKenna, who she loved and who she actually got to meet one time because I had an artist playing at a festival and she came along and she got to meet him. So I'm really happy about that. And um, Hello by Adele, because we used to sing it at the top of our lungs in the car like maniacs. And also probably Jose Gonzalez, Heartbeats, because uh, she loved that song and we played it at her funeral and... It's just a very 
it's very much Irish that song. Music is so powerful, isn't it, in terms of taking you back to a particular memory? Or... Um, okay, the next one is: What do you do to remember Iris on the important days across the year? So, we uh, are gathered together with her friends. Like I said, we we decorate. Um, ben, Iris's father, created this extraordinary kind of stone circle for her. So we we were in the place where she died. So we meet there sometimes, and I we bring flowers, and we remember we talk about her, and we remember her, and just I don't know, we celebrate her really on her birthday and on the anniversary, the year anniversary. Yeah, that's what. And, I, and also, I I mean, my Instagram has become like a shrine to Iris. Like I don't really post about anything else now, so I try to post about her every every month and on the big days. That sounds really beautiful. Okay, what three things are you most thankful for at the moment? My boys, my sons, the people in my life, especially my boyfriend, Paul, and my sister, and my closest friends. Um, And also, actually, my work. I work for the best company in the world. They've been beyond supportive. I'm very, very lucky. And I think without having work to kind of refocus on and kind of get back into, I just... It, it would have made everything even more difficult. So I'm really grateful for that too. Right, so the last one, which can be a difficult one, but if you could sit down with Iris for one last time, what do you think you might like to say to her? The truth is I probably would just hold on to her and refuse to let, let her go ever again. But, you know, I think I wouldn't say anything particularly profound. I think I'd just tell her that how much I miss her and how, you know, I love her and I'll never stop loving her yeah it's amazing whenever that question asked it's love is always the one that it comes to but um yeah i mean what else is there to say really exactly okay i just want to say a huge thank you for sharing your story with me today i know um it's not something you've done before so i'm really appreciative of your time and uh, yeah, thank you so much 